0: This is The World in Brief, from The Economist. Our top stories. Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said his country will definitely win the war against Russia during a visit to the southern front line. Meanwhile, in the east, Russian forces are seeking to take full control of the city of Severodonetsk by bringing in troops from other battle zones, said the governor of the Luhansk region. Jens Stoltenberg, NATO's Secretary-General, warned that the war could last for years. Apple employees in Towson, Maryland, voted to join a union, making their store the first of the company's 270-odd in America to organise. Drives are underway at several of Apple's other retail locations. The country's labour movement is having a moment. In April, workers at an Amazon warehouse in Staten Island, New York, Formed the company's first in America. The first Starbucks cafe was unionized last December. More than 90 have followed. Bitcoin fell below the $18,000 threshold for the first time since November 2020 amid monetary tightening by central banks. The decline in value of the largest cryptocurrency, which serves as a reference point for other digital assets, erased years of gains for its owners and sparked worries that it could force liquidations of leveraged bets, prompting further sell-offs. China's e-commerce giant JD.com posted its lowest-ever sales growth in one of the country's biggest shopping festivals, 618. Over the 18-day period to Sunday, sales rose by just 10.3%, compared with 27.7% during the equivalent period last year. The figures confirm fears that consumer confidence in China has been badly shaken by extended COVID-19 lockdowns as well as slowing economic conditions. America's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommended COVID-19 vaccines for children as young as six months old. In a statement, President Joe Biden said the under-fives could begin receiving jabs next week, urging parents to inoculate their youngest. Since the start of the pandemic, COVID has been the fifth leading cause of death in those aged 1 to 4, according to the CDC. North Korea dispatched medical crews and epidemiological investigators to a province suffering from an intestinal disease outbreak. State media reported that at least 800 families have received aid for an acute enteric epidemic. The country is already struggling with food shortages and a wave of COVID 19 infections. South Korean officials believe the disease could be cholera or typhoid. After an autopsy, Brazilian police said that Dom Phillips, a British journalist, and Bruno Pereira, an indigenous expert, were shot dead with a firearm using typical hunting ammunition. The pair had disappeared in the remote Javari Valley almost two weeks ago, and their bodies were found last Wednesday. Three suspects have been arrested. And word of the week, Chivo, the name of El Salvador's digital wallet, meaning cool, part of a scheme thrown into chaos by the falling price of cryptocurrencies.
1: And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Macron's majority on the line. For the fourth time this year, on Sunday, the French go to the polls for a national vote, After a two-round presidential election in April, they will elect a new parliament in a runoff vote. Emmanuel Macron, the re-elected president, is fighting to hold on to his centrist alliance's majority in the 577-seat National Assembly. Polls suggest he could lose it. Mr. Macron's greatest challenge comes from Jean-Luc Mélenchon's NUPES, a left-wing grouping that has absorbed the communists, greens, and socialists. NUPES is likely to do well enough to become the main parliamentary opposition. The center-right Republicans look set to lose seats. Marine Le Pen's hard-right national rally, which won only eight seats in 2017, may do better this time. But for Mr. Macron, things look tricky. Without a majority in the Assembly, he will struggle to push through the contentious reforms he has promised for his second term. How Not to Observe Juneteenth America only made it a federal holiday last year, but the end of slavery has been commemorated on Juneteenth, a portmanteau of June and 19th since 1865. Those celebrating often hold barbecues and picnics, and even before Juneteenth was nationally recognized, some companies made it a paid holiday for their American employees. But some corporations' attempts at observing the date lack taste. Last month, Dollar Tree, a discount retail chain, was criticized for selling Juneteenth-themed party supplies in Pan-African colors, rather than the day's official colors of red, white, and blue. Walmart pulled a store brand, Juneteenth Ice Cream, off its shelves after people on social media blasted the retailer for trivializing and exploiting the holiday. And this week, the game developer behind Microsoft's Halo franchise tried to honor Juneteenth by releasing an in-game item, but it was named after an ape, playing into a long-standing racist trope. America Inc. clearly still has much to learn. Colombia's momentous election. On Sunday, Colombians will elect a new president. And for once, he will not come from the center-right establishment. In the runoff are Gustavo Petro, a leftist ex-guerrilla, and Rodolfo Hernandez, a populist. Mr. Hernandez, a former construction mogul, has spent little of his campaign on formalities, eschewing televised debates in favor of ranting on TikTok. His manifesto focuses on rooting out graft, yet he himself will stand trial for corruption in July. Mr. Petro has been a congressman for decades and is a former mayor of Bogota, the capital. But his stint as mayor was racked by disputes with staff and he was temporarily suspended after bungling the municipal takeover of a private rubbish collection service. He wants to make university education free, increase tax revenue by 5.5% of GDP in four years, and grant every unemployed person a state job. Polls suggest Sunday's election will be close, Whoever wins, Colombia seems headed for radical change. The Fight to Broadcast Indian Cricket Perhaps half a billion Indians tune into the Indian Premier League, the country's cricket extravaganza, every year. Eager to capture their attention, at an auction this week, media heavyweights paid $6.2 billion to broadcast the games over the next five years. The splurge makes the league one of the most lucrative sports series per game. Only America's National Football League scores higher. The bidders believe it is money well spent. The sports format, with play stopping every few minutes, is an ad man's dream. More than four-fifths of the ad revenue comes through traditional television. No wonder, then, that Disney, which owns the current package, agreed to part with $3 billion for the rights. But it ceded online streaming rights, which went for $2.6 billion to a joint venture of Paramount, an American media firm, and Reliance, an Indian conglomerate with plans for digital domination of the country. With Indian subscribers paying Disney an average of just 76 cents a month, the mouse may have avoided a sticky wicket. Weekend Profile – Pierre Polyev, Canada's Populist Politician At the start of this year, Canada was the scene of unaccustomed excitement. Truckers opposed to a vaccine mandate parked their rigs in the centre of Ottawa, the country's capital, and blocked one of the main bridges to America. Among their loudest supporters was Pierre Polyev, a Conservative MP. Police eventually broke up the, quote, freedom convoy, but its message is still being spread by Mr. Polyev, now the country's most talked-about politician and the front-runner to become the leader of the opposition Conservative Party. Like populists everywhere, Mr. Polyev fulminates against elites. In his case, the sort of people who hobnob in Davos, the central bank governor whom he holds partly responsible for inflation, gatekeepers who make housing unaffordable, And, of course, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the son of another prime minister. Mr. Polyev has Donald Trump's knack of talking about himself while still making audiences feel he's talking about them. But Canada is not America, and Mr. Polyev is not Mr. Trump. In Canada, most voters are not as angry as the protesting truckers, and national elections are won or lost in the multi-ethnic suburbs of Toronto so Mr. Polyev chooses his targets carefully. He can safely lambast the CBC, Canada's public broadcaster, but immigrants are off limits. Thus, Mr. Polyev's core beliefs seem closer to the small-state ideology of Ronald Reagan than to Mr. Trump's incontinent chauvinism. Adopted by school teachers in Saskatchewan, Mr. Polyev grew up believing that, quote, the greatest social safety net we can ever have is, quote, voluntary generosity among family and community. He seems to have long had aims of high office. In high school, he wrote to a newspaper denouncing Canada's liberal government for raising pension contributions. He is inching closer to that goal. After a barnstorming tour this spring, membership of the Conservative Party supposedly more than doubled to around 600,000, a record for a Canadian political party. Mr. Polyev's campaign claims to have signed up more than half of those. His rivals in the party dispute that. His first opportunity to become prime minister is likely to be an election due in 2025. But first, he faces a leadership election in September, where he must convince conservatives that his calibrated version of populism has a chance in Canada. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Chris Williams, Phnom Penh, Cambodia North America, Jane Gose, Kihei, United States Central and South America, Hinez Sanchez, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Alistair Brachy, Sterling, Scotland. Africa, Hasit Raja, Nairobi, Kenya. Oceania, Inge Nusselder, Cust, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Ronald Reagan, Indira Gandhi, John Lennon, Louis Armstrong, and Charles de Gaulle. The theme is they have all had airports named after them. Washington, New Delhi, Liverpool, New Orleans, and Paris. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jose Saramago, who died on June 18th in 2010. Our biggest tragedy is not knowing what to do with our lives.